0: Welcome, and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, SCRS's Vice President of Site Engagement. SCRS Talks is a program that allows our partners and those we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements, and learn about the members in our community. In this installment, we're lucky to have Todd Albin, the CEO of Cedar Health Research, talk with us about amending study budgets as it pertains to technology implementation onto our clinical trials. Let's take a moment to meet our speaker. Todd, if you wouldn't mind a brief introduction, please.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jimmy, and uh, great to be part of this podcast. Yeah, I'm Todd Alvin, the CEO of Cedar Health Research. Uh, I've been in the clinical research field for about 25 years now. Spent uh, my first 18 years operating uh, clinical trial sites for industry sponsored studies uh, for uh, basically everything phase one through four outpatient chronic disease uh, for commercial non academic sites and integrated sites and standalone sites and site networks. Went over to the industry side and worked for uh, PPD, uh, their subsidiary, Akurian, supporting global site enrollment and retention optimization for studies uh, that PPD and Akurian supported worldwide. Um, and then uh, spent some time as well in the ophthalmology space helping to build out site networks to support retina diseases uh, and came over uh, to Dallas to help. Uh, be part of the launching of Cedar Health Research, a clinical trial site network um, focused on partnering with community physician practices using uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning integration with uh, health uh, medical record systems uh, to expand clinical trial access and power patient recruitment. Um, Excited to, to be part of this discussion.
0: Excellent. A lot of uh, a lot of diverse experience there that definitely qualifies you to help us learn about this topic today. Because uh, Todd, the implementation of decentralized tools and technologies on our studies has really changed the face of startup and some of the training requirements that exist. But it also has placed an additional burden on sites because there's a lot of added time that is needed to manage these platforms. And that time and those requirements aren't always recognized in the study budgets at the site level. And as that landscape continues to change, we at SCRS want to start dialogue on how sites can prepare for these changes and ensure that they're being compensated for the additional time and what resources are needed to manage these services, Todd, which leads me to my first question. Can you walk us through a scenario that your site might have experienced recently in regards to this subject, right? New technologies being added to your study protocols.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think I have a great example that I can share. You know, we're taking part in a uh, pediatric autism study. So this is this is something with, a you know, obviously a vulnerable population and an important area of study. And uh, the study was was might have been contemplated prior to the pandemic, but it was launched uh, post pandemic. Still in the early enough phases that it was uh, designed to accommodate if there were restrictions put in place during the course of the study. Um, so at the outset, you know, and, and the sponsor did did communicate this to us. They said, you know, they would be you know including all of these uh, decentralized tools to allow for the flexibility of the study in the event that that restrictions came about. Um, However, it was, uh, you know, basically communicated that, you know, these, these these tools were embedded. It wasn't like an either-or, you know, doing it the traditional way. It was the idea of doing this in a hybrid model, using the decentralized tools um, as part of the regular study operation. And they were up, up front in indicating that there were you know, approximately, I want to say, 16 vendors in total uh, that the site would be working with on the trial. Um, so, you know, right away... You know, that certainly, you know, you know, during the study startup raised our red flag in terms of, you know, making sure we were going to be allocated an appropriate startup funds to cover the costs associated to that. But, but once the study actually got got going, we, we realized very quickly we underestimated a lot of those things. Um, you know, first off, uh, just in terms of, you know, the the trainings and the portals, uh, there were uh, approximately uh eight different portals uh, that our study coordinator and team had to be uh, trained to operate on. And then for the investigator side, there were an additional two. So a total of 10 on the investigators. And, And what we found was the training time required Per study coordinator, on the study was about 12 hours, and per investigator was about 14 hours. So initially, there we had significantly underestimated the amount of time and the cost associated with that training uh, once all of those those portals uh, were assigned. So you know, kind of an immediate early lesson learned was to really, you know, as much as we're trying to move through startup quickly and accommodate the sponsor uh, during that budget process. Um, Really, you know, putting on the brakes and getting, you know, full transparency onto all the different trainings that would be required for each of the portals, approximate time for that training to make sure the startup fee, you know, covers your site staff costs, you know, for both the uh, coordinator and the investigator time to get all that training completed. Uh, You know, once the study actually got going and we started screening patients, um, uh, we ran into a lot of challenges with with, uh, a handful of the vendors they were using. Um, you know, they were using uh, remote IP delivery service. and uh, this this required that the you know because this was IP being shipped, uh, that the you know parent of the uh, of the study participant be home at the time of the delivery. Um, oftentimes uh, we found that the delivery window was missed. Uh, these parents were taking time off work to be home to be there for the delivery, and they weren't able to receive the delivery. Um, it had to be rescheduled, or they'd have to come back home. Um, you know, creating just a, a lot of uh, you know aggravation and challenges for the parents between them and their work, and they're also parents trying to manage the care of uh, of a special needs child at the same time. So, um, you know that that caused a lot a lot of pain. Um, and, of course, all of the support and time on our side to troubleshoot it with that, with that service provider, um, again, was, was something that was, uh, you know, a hidden cost for, all, uh, for us in terms of lots of time of our study coordinator team, um, you know, being on the phone with the vendor trying to sort out the, the shipping problems. Uh, the other uh, key uh, problematic piece of it is it allowed. It, it basically was structured to have a, a centralized um, assessment evaluator for the study for the uh, for the autistic conditions of the subject. Um, in this particular case, you know we would have to arrange scheduling between the 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 you know the caregiver, the the, the participant, and and the service providing these evaluations. And um, you know, number one, getting them scheduled in the first place was pretty challenging. But but following that, uh, what we found was that these these appointments would get canceled, but there wouldn't be a notification, or they would just reschedule them autonomously without informing us or the parent. Uh, the parent would you know designate time to be available with their child for these evaluations, and no one would show up um, at the times when it was scheduled. Uh, we would have tremendous trouble um, getting everyone logged into the system um, and then having to go through the support to solve the login problems. We often found that, you know, spending a lot of time on hold, Um, something that was supposed to take, um, you know, total time estimate of two hours was taking about six hours to complete for when these things actually did take place. So um, this was uh, an unmet uh, cost on the site side and also Um, It was a um, it was definitely something that was a great inconvenience and well beyond the stipend that was provided for the parent caregiver uh, for the time they were taking off their work. Uh, to be available for these interviews, and and then also the the symptom tracker um, had similar problems. This is again one of these uh, ECOA platforms that we you know we thought were were pretty well developed. Again, had a lot of technical glitches, and just found that the service provider for this um, you know was never available when our when our staff would call. Um, so again, a lot of troubleshooting, a lot of tech time. And, and overall, what we found was was that the, you know, for the conduct of a single visit, it was it was taking about three to four times the amount of time we projected on a budget. Um, so we actually reached the point of having to uh, um once once this this first patient, you know concluded, we agreed that we weren't going to screen any additional patients um, until we were able to renegotiate the budget. Uh, to deal with these costs, and then we also requested a, a protocol amendment so that, you know, if these decentralized tools weren't necessary, that we could conduct the visits in the traditional on-site fashion uh, whenever appropriate, basically going with the, with the preference of, of the patient and the caregiver, um, and and that was, you know, obviously going to take a lot longer there. Um, So so, we went into a a renegotiation uh, with the sponsor and and they were they were pretty amenable to the process. Um, You know, I think we we got close to what we wanted, not enough to really make us satisfied. And more importantly, they weren't able to go back and, you know, help us recoup the sunk time as well. Um, so it was um, a, a real lesson learned in terms of uh, really understanding ahead of time, getting full transparency of the tools that were going to be used, how they were going to be supported, the real time it was going to take, and to make sure that that was factored into the budget, also factored into the recruitment plan, understanding that you know some of the parents you know, would, be, would be less interested in participating, knowing uh, how inconvenient these tools would make it for them, something that was designed to make it more convenient for them.
0: And there's a lot to unpack there, right, Todd? I mean, a lot of, a lot of information, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of solutions, and we'll get into some of those solutions here in, in just a few minutes. But uh, I think some of the key messaging there, right, is the detrimental effect that this had on the patients and the parents who are already a vulnerable population, right? And so that's, that's the challenge that this downstream ends up having. And the site that I think we need to maintain, um, the, the the vision that we need to maintain into this trial is how it ultimately affects them when a good site like yours is unable to do what they need to do, or they have all these roadblocks that get in the way, unanticipated time and resources that are needed, which is really what we're here to talk about. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, it's an excellent example of when this, uh, what we're here to talk about today really does break down. Um, and, and Todd, you talked about, you know, the, uh, the some of the time, right? The uh, The unanticipated time that was required for you on that study, which is one part of it, right? But how much additional time do you estimate is needed on a typical study just to learn and manage, uh, for example, one new platform or one new tool, let alone eight to 10 platforms or tools?
1: Yeah, and and I think, you know, for me, this was, you know, a lot of these technologies you know came into place you know the you know for my eight, first 18 years you know on the site side and then spending six years uh, on the CRO side and coming back to the site that was a real eye-opener for me um, to, to, to understand um, the technology components of these portals uh, and how much more challenging it made the startup how much more challenging it made to add new investigators and to add new st- to study coordinators along the way and I, and I have to say it, it at least doubles um, the, the the startup cost on the site side for for training time, and, and I would say then on and on the study operation side, um, I would say it at least increases um, you know the technical support factor, the fact that a lot of these technologies um, are riddled with bugs and, and don't really have. That, you know, that help desk support that can get to you while the patient's in front of you. um, The impact that has on on the length of study visits and and dropouts in the studies, uh, it's difficult to measure, but but in a lot of cases, it at least doubles the length of those visits um, and definitely facilitates more patients dropping out. Um, so, so those are, you know, all things you ha- you really have to factor in um, when you're when you're getting on board and, and when these technologies are being adopted, especially where they're, you know, if the site hasn't had experience with the vendor or the platform in the past, just to, and really not knowing exactly what you're getting into um, can make it very challenging to prepare for it and budget for it.
0: Exactly, and and not like you had mentioned in your previous example as well. Not being able to anticipate accurately what those tools and those processes are going to be really adds to the challenge there. So I think a good piece of advice, um, which is what we'll talk about next, there is like you mentioned, getting taking the time during startup to understand the number of platforms and the amount of uh, try to anticipate the amount of work that's going in there, maybe slowing down just a little bit. So that you can try to wrap your arms around what that requirement's going to be. So, getting to that point, Todd, what advice do you have for sites, right, We're looking towards solutions here, who need to be reimbursed for time spent on these protocol changes and the implementation of these um, technologies? You know, what what advice do you have for them, and and what has worked well um, from from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know the, the problem that exists, you know. This really has to be addressed in the startup and in, in the budget negotiation process. The problem is that while there's been great advancements in the technology and this technology is being applied into the studies, there's been very little advancement in the way that the sponsors and CROs handle their budget uh, negotiations and their their budget assumptions on the front end. So they, they still very much provide an offered startup fee of a, of a lump sum payment of between usually between three and five thousand dollars. And that's usually meant to cover the typical study startup requirements of, you know, you know, attending an initiation visit, reviewing the slides on a protocol, maybe doing some EDC training, Um, but it does not at all contemplate um, all of the additional portals and technology pieces that are now part of of a, a study in the year 2022. Um, so, you know, the approach that we've had that, that has been successful, you know, they, you know they, the sponsors always want to see justification. And, and we really try to uh, really hammer that back to them with detail. So uh, on one side of it, you know, we, we have our, our clinical operations team working with their, their their CRA to glean as much as possible about each portal that, that's going to be required in the study and getting all of that up front. Um, and then what we do is, is basically line item every single that is required in study startup. Just like you would if you look at a budget based on visit and procedure and you know you're looking at to make sure you you incur your costs, you make sure nothing was left off, everything in the protocol is included. You need to go through the exact same exercise for startup. Problem being is, you know, that the sponsors are moving, trying to move so quickly, they don't necessarily have all of that determined. Um, but you have to be disciplined enough. To not advance forward and agree to these things until that is in place. So once we have that in there, um, and we can provide you know you know an estimate and understand what our you know blended costs for our our clinical operations study staff time is and our and our in our investigator time uh, for doing that, and you know assessing how many hours this is going to take you know per quarter portal based on the staff that you have that you're putting on this study, and that all should be built into your study costs, uh, study startup fee, along with the uh, you know all the traditional elements like doing your IRB submission and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so that that needs to be included in there and it needs to be line items. So you're showing them that, you know, there's, there's going to be X number of portals. It's going to require this much time per coordinator for portal at this rate and this much time per investigator per portal. And when you give them that detail, um, you're much, you're, you're going to, you know, it's typically going to get escalated because the amount you're going to ask for is beyond whatever the person who's looking at it can approve. Uh, but typically you'll get to the next level and, and you'll get very close to it. Um, the other piece um, that you have to negotiate in there is to have a statement indicating that if if there are you know changes to the original plan, additional technologies are added, if there are, you know if if it turns out that the average time to complete these things exceeds what what we were told would be the average time by the study team, then you have to have a caveat in there that these amounts can be renegotiated. That one is a little bit harder to get in there, um, but but you know typically you know the the power the sites have once the study is started is um, you can certainly, you know, slow down on on recruiting and doing other things if you're finding that the, uh, you know, your, your economics aren't being met because of the added burden that these things are taking. So, um, again, you know, providing as much detail, justification, line iting them and, and really gleaning out of that study team at the beginning, everything that's going to be required to be able to be initiated on that study is crucial.
0: Excellent, Todd. And I I won't summarize that because you did a great job right at the end there uh, talking about some, uh, you know, the practical big takeaways from that portion of there. And I hope our site listeners can uh, pause, hit rewind and re-listen to that again, because there was a lot of really great information in there on making sure that you're covering your bases when it comes to these modern ways that we're engaging in our clinical trials. But what about the other side of the relationship, Todd? What can sponsors and CROs do to help sites with this issue? What changes um, need to be made from the top down, really, uh, again, at that sponsor and CRO level?
1: Yeah, I I think the biggest issue that we have um, in the day-to-day operation of it. So so number one, I think, you know, in the startup and ne- budget negotiation process, transparency and um, what's going to be required for the study startup so, so that we have a fair picture and we can accurately negotiate our startup fee at the beginning. But when the study is actually operating, you know, the, the biggest pain point we have is that when these glitches happen, they tend to happen when you have the patient in front of you or the patient on the phone trying to do something from home. And the only point of contact that the site has is typically their CRA. And as we know as well, the CRAs are incredibly busy. They're, they're traveling. They're on planes. They're, they're at sites. You know they, they're, some, they're often unreachable when you need to get them. And the, the support lines for a lot of these vendors, either they don't exist and we're told to go through the CRAs. Or, you know, you you leave a message, you send an email and they follow up, you know, a day later when the patient's gone, the business now out of window or the patient's just withdrawn from the study. Um, So I think the most important thing that sponsors and CROs can do is provide real time, qualified support for these platforms that are available on the business hours that sites are typically open, regardless of what time zone they're operating in. Um, that would actually be. That's it's patient centric. It's site centric. It, it's better for the data. It's better for everyone involved. Um, of course, there's like there's a cost involved there, but it, it makes the application of these tools, especially the ones that are not that have the higher bug rate. You know that just really needs to be there. I think the sponsors, the CROs, need to demand that of their vendors. You know that there is this real time customer support for when the patients are there. That that alone would would limit the the time and, and the huge amount of frustration that it that it causes to both the participants and the study staff uh, when these problems come up and they come up often.
0: A real viable solution, I think they're taught. And like you said, there is, uh, with anything, any change or any new solution, there is cost involved. But as you mentioned, that cost upfront far outweighs um, the, uh, I guess, underweighs the benefit that the sites and more importantly the patients can gain from making some of these changes um at the at the site level and and like you said being transparent off the bat is so important with um with with our sites and advancing the work that we're doing on these trials so that the sites can get what they need and they can do what they need to do and that is treat the patients effectively, efficiently, and cause as little stress on everyone as possible. So um, thank you, Todd. Todd, I want to say thank you uh, as well for your participation today and for you being here talking about this very modern um, and important issue, and also more importantly, sharing some practical solutions with our community on both sides of the community as to what can be done to move the needle here a little bit and, and ease the burden that is placed on sites and in in turn then on patients as your example so eloquently um, personified. So again, thank you for being here with us today.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to help try to contribute to solving these problems. I'd rather not complain about them. I'd rather work solutions to them.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Todd.
1: For all our listeners on the line, make
0: sure that you register for upcoming summits like our Australia New Zealand summit being held July 12th and 13th in Melbourne, Australia by visiting our summit website. While you're on our website, make sure to also check out our other SCRS publications for our community in the publications section of myscrs.org. I appreciate everyone's participation in today's program and look forward to having you join us for more great
1: content and SCRS talks in the future. Thank you for listening.